What's up, guys? This is the 404 Forum, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. Hello, guys. Welcome to the second episode of the 404 Forum. I'm your host, Isaiah Smith. Got uh, my guy Saul McCoy here with me. Um, it's kind of a guest host, going to talk about some UGA football to start off and kind of give a uh, state of the program, if you will, um, and kind of jump in and, and talk about what's going on at UGA, what's going on in Athens, um, and, and address some of the topics that a lot of people have been, have been you know, kind of pounding the drum on on social media. But uh, first of all, Saul, thank you for being on. And uh, yeah, just tell everybody hello and, and what's up. What's up, guys? Looking forward to being on here, Isaiah. I mean, I think we talked the last time we got together at the church thing. Oh, we yeah. talked for like two hours the whole time, and we just like, man, we just need to record this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was supposed to mingle with people. I think okay. I talked right. to two people oh, counting yeah, you I mean, twice. It's always a good time so, to get together with Saul. Yeah, I had a great time. And, you know, night. kick it around and talk sports and all that stuff, and, and you know, kick it around about life and all those good things. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Saul was – uh, my old youth pastor, so uh, always good to see him and, and definitely built a relationship up at Gillsville on Wednesday nights and, and getting to uh, to talk sports and, and over good food and be with good people and, and all that stuff. So definitely if you uh, if you don't have a Saul McCoy in your life, I'd suggest you find one, uh, not just for the sports talk, but also for the uh, the good life advice and all that good stuff. But, uh, but you know, just kind of jumping in here, going to start That's with, with UGA, going to start with the state of the program and kind of hit on something that a lot of people are talking about that a lot of a lot of people don't really know unless you take a deep dive but talking about Georgia's defense you know a lot of people thought this was best defense in the nation you know caliber last year they were probably the best defense in the nation with the no-name defense didn't really have a a surefire first rounder on the defense outside of maybe Richard LeCount but a lot of guys contributed a lot of guys came back um but there there's the whole idea that UGA's defense you know they get dominated in big games I think um people talk about how they're not they weren't great against Florida a few weeks ago weren't great against Bama before that and even 2019 an SEC title against LSU so you know I want to kick it to you Saul and just see you know why does the defense keep number one getting dominated in these big games and you know Georgia as we know has kind of gotten dominated in their big games and is it really the defense's fault when you kind of look deeper Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's kind of a the way the game is changing, you know, going to more offenses has everything kind of going in their favor and their advantage. You, know, you can go even far back as when they played Oklahoma oh, yeah. in the playoff game, you know, Oklahoma roared back in that game, you know, after having a pretty big lead at half. And, you know, if it wasn't for some last minute <laughs> magic, would it, that always seems like Georgia sports has to have last minute magic to win, even when you got such a big lead. But uh, but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with their defense. It's crazy with Kirby, and you know, one thing mm-hmm. that he has brought in immensely is the defensive talent. I mean, they've got tons of defensive talent, and you would think, you know, you would be able to produce that. But um, and, and I think part of it has to do with that your offense is kind of sluggish, you know, and, and doesn't hold on to the ball as long as it should right now, you know. And even last year, you could say their offense wasn't what it should have been holding the ball and stuff, and. So I think that does weigh on your defense now when everything's, you know, go, go, go. You can wear it on a defense pretty good. 
but I think I think they're not getting the best of it. You know, somebody like Noah uh, Nolan Smith, you know, was highly recruited, but you really haven't had any heard anything out of him. You know, this year, I think one thing you, you're not seeing is some of the defensive guys have not mm-hmm. they've not really come to what you think they should be. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's just me, but but some of these guys that are you know they've pulled in on the defensive line just oh, yeah. have not I, I definitely become that. the stars I mean, that you, you think they four would. You get four-star, five-star guys, and, and though you expect a few of those. You know, you don't expect everyone to be a star, obviously, but you expect a handful of those guys to turn into Roquan Smith, to turn into, you know, Leonard Floyd's, to turn into Jarvis Jones's even, you know, looking back a few years ago. Um, you expect some of those guys, especially on the, the defensive line. I feel yeah. like defensive line is an area where – if you're going to give Kirby Smart heat, I feel like the defensive line is the area because of the lack of a pass rush, you know, seemingly stemming from when he, when he first got there. You know, even against Florida, they didn't generate a pass rush. And while the pass rush has been better this year, when you see them go against that top flight competition, mm-hmm. the pass rush isn't there. And it seems like always against that top flight competition, that's when the teams want to put the ball in the air. That's when you're seeing more modern offenses, the spread offense, and, and teams are throwing it around and really hurting your defensive backs, which are talented. Um, but but looking at it, you know, just kind of from a number standpoint, Georgia's allowing 40 points a game. If you look at their last three big games, Florida, Alabama this season, LSU in 2019, um, mm-hmm. you know, giving up 40 a game, 413 yards passing. Um, but the stat that, that glares to me, you know, that I think is a, a bigger tale than, than the raw yards allowed and, and those types of things is Georgia is only converting third downs at a 29% clip. That on, on offense, UGA's offense only converts about 29% of their of their third downs. The other thing is they're not really being outrushed. So when you kind of look at this thing, Georgia's able to run the ball against pretty much anybody. You know, they're, they're able to run the football. And when you think about that, that kind of a symbol, you know, is a semblance of, of the play calling to me and as the game progresses. Because if you look at against Florida, you know, Samir White had, you know, was averaging like five or six yards a carry. But when the offense has so many empty possessions and so many three and outs and isn't able to, to extend drives and capitalize, I think that affects your rushing numbers. Number one, it keeps, you know, doesn't allow you to f- control the ball in that way. But number two, if you're not in third and manageables, if, you know, you, the run, you know, you throw the ball on first down, incomplete pass, or, or you know, only gain a couple yards, you feel like you're in a passing down on second down. You know, it puts you in third and long situations, and you know defenses like Alabama can pin their ears back, really come get it. So I don't really, I don't really put so much of the onus on Georgia's defense. Yeah. You know, I think they're still a talented group. I still think they can play with, with the best of, of whoever. You know, on looking at other teams' offenses, but I also think that part of this comes down to Georgia's offense and their inability to stay on the field, sustain drives. Um, you know, looking against Florida, they were either punter interception on five or five of the six possessions in the second half. And, you know, it really became overly apparent. You know, Todd Munkin is, is different than, you know, James Coley or Jim Chaney. Obviously, he's not going to be a typical ground and pound guy, even though that's where Georgia's strength still may lie. And in modernizing the offense, kind of going to the next question, Munkin's going to be who he's going to be. He's going to want to throw the football. So I think with that in mind, it really comes down to having a guy to physically command that offense. So kind of jumping to the next point, you know, for Georgia's offense to stay on the field, you've got to have a guy who can physically command that offense and hit the intermediates can throw the ball down the field, can put the ball in windows when he has to, or just see wide open guys that are getting schemed open. Um, so with that in mind, you know, Georgia's quarterback problem, I, I think it's apparent that there's a quarterback issue 
um, at Georgia. So I just kind of want to let you you take oh, take yeah. the helm on that right now because you kind of you drill when we talk to you. Well, let me ask you something before we get off the defense. You know, Kirby's thing has always been getting pressure on quarterbacks with his four-down linemen. You know, he's not big on blitzing. He's not a big blitzer guy, and he wasn't at Alabama, I know, and stuff like that. And they always got pressure with their four-down linemen. What Do you think that has to change for the, the way college is now? Do you think you have to blitz nowadays because quarterbacks get the ball out so much quicker now? Uh, you know, they're taking an RPO and they're getting it out real quick or – you know, it just doesn't seem like if you're wanting to get pressure on a quarterback now, you're going to get it even with – even if you had four studs at the defensive line, you're going to have to send pressure. Do you feel like Kirby should blitz more? Do you think he should – or do you think it's just that the, the he's not getting honestly production out of I think the defensive line like he it's should? It's situational. When you look at certain offenses that want to run the RPO game, that want to get the ball out quick and get the ball in, you know, playmakers' hands quickly, I think you do have to send pressure to kind of affect that decision-making. And, and – Unfortunately, it seems like the better offenses are going to that. When you look at the Alabamas, you know, Florida is a, is a quick decision type offense, whether, you know, get the ball in a guy's hands, let him do the work, and don't um, worry with your drop back passer. So I guess, you know, almost thinking about it, when you look at the top flight competition, it is, you, you do need to heat it up. You do need to send pressure, and you have to be able to trust your guys to, to defend one-on-one. Georgia already plays a lot of man-to-man, as you saw against Florida, and they paid for it because Florida kept, you know, mm-hmm, they kept throwing wheel routes. Oh, it killed us with the running backs mm-hmm. out of the backfield. I mean, that was – yeah, wheel routes left and right and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how many passing yards their running backs had together, but I know the original I looked at the stats, it was pretty much a, most of their production had come from the two backs that they primarily mm-hmm. used. And like I said, it was on wheel routes. They didn't even rush for that many yards. You know, they always say, what was it, after the past 14 years, whoever's rushed for the most yardage wins the game. And this was the first year in like 14 years that Georgia outrushed them. I mean, I, I bet if you took off the long – run by Zamir White at the end of the game. You know, I know that skews the stats, but, uh, but you know, they it wasn't like they run all over you. You know, you just – yep, you weren't getting pressure on the quarterback and you couldn't cover backs out of the backfield. I mean, that's what killed you on defense in that game. It wasn't – to me, it wasn't that Florida did anything that you just went, oh, man, this it's like playing LSU last year. You know, yep. it was like, man, they're just dinking and dunking us to death on this stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that's one thing I think. With Kirby, you know, I think they're going to answer is how, you know, and that's Kirby. I think that is one place you can uh, criticize them. You know, you're wanting to lead into the quarterback stuff. You know, on the quarterback stuff, I know we shy away from criticizing Kirby because he is a defensive-minded coach. And so I do think you can criticize him more on the defensive side of the ball when you've given up 40-plus points to Florida. And then, you know, I worry about today with Mississippi State, you know, they can put up points, you know, but – um, but the quarterback thing, you know, a lot of people have been saying, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know me, Isaiah, I'm legally blind. I, I can't see four foot in front of me. And I've always said, like, one of the things that scares me to death the most is losing my vision. And the reason why is because I've had vision. So, like, you know, if you're, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what the difference is, but, like, if you're born blind, like, to me, you don't really know what you're losing. But, like, when, when you have sight and then you lose it, it just seems like it hurts that much more, you know. I don't know why. But – it's kind of the way I feel about Georgia's quarterback problem right now is it's mm-hmm. not that you don't think that you could have got the guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, man, if, you know, it sucks because we couldn't get a quarterback that's a difference maker. What sucks about Georgia is yep. you had the guy. 
Like you had the quarterback that makes a difference. You had a quarterback that makes you a national title contender. I'm not going to say you win a national title this year with somebody like Justin Fields, but it, it definitely puts you in the conversation and it completely changes this offense. So to me, that's why I'm pretty harsh on criticizing Kirby when it comes to the quarterback stuff. And um, because you had the guy, you had him. Like you had the guy in there that was the difference maker. That if you went with this guy, if you made the tough decision, that you know you you're a national title contender. And and now you know you've you've brought in all these guys that you said, hey, we're we're fine letting that guy go in fields because we think what we've got will be fine. Well, I guess then you thought, well, it's not really fine. So then you go and get this Newman, bring him in. Well, then he leaves, and you still think you're fine. And now here we are whatever number game this is into the season, and we're starting our third quarterback. And, you know, it's like it, – I think it hurts Georgia fans mm-hmm. much more this year than it did like in the Joe Tereshinsky yep. year in the years past when we had to start Fatone Bauta, you know, this year because it's like, dude, we had the guy and we had him in there. And so I think that's why I do criticize Kirker pretty bad because I think those are the kind of decisions that do put yep. you over the top as a perennial, you know – contender is is going with a guy like Fields because you know what he is so you know now you're looking down the road like today you know you're riding with I know you're riding today with um, JT Daniels uh oh my gosh his name just left me um Daniels yeah you're going with Daniels today and and you know the next year you're either going to ride with Daniels again or you're going to put all your hopes in in a freshman quarterback in Vandergriff so um, there's a big problem at Georgia with quarterback. I will say this, though. A lot of people have said, oh, if JT Daniel balls out no. today, then, like, oh, Kirby's going to be even more on the hot seat. I, I don't I don't buy into that because mm-hmm. I think he's got the excuse of, well, he wasn't healthy. You know, you've already heard, like, some of the players come out in their interviews and say, you know, oh, Daniel's had it been trusting his knee. He's still kind of shaky, you know, when he's moving. He's not as mobile as we should be. So, you know, Kirby's already got that kind of excuse to fall back on to go, oh, well, he wasn't healthy. So that's why he wasn't starting. So I really don't think it damages. The biggest thing this year that damages him to me is that you had the yeah. guy, you had the solution, and you let him walk. So that that to me is the current situation Definitely. is that Definitely. it hurts it because hurts you had him that much This more. year, in a year where it's an odd year and it seems like, you know, anything can happen. And you have, you know, last year, you know, it hurt watching Justin Fields, I thought, because – from the standpoint of, you know, oh, we had this guy in house, man, look how good he is at Ohio State. But this year it hurts even more. Like you you talked about as well, you know, having, you know, having all this talent they have. But I think it hurts even more now that Todd Munkin is here and has opened up the offense. And now you see what that, if you want to call it oh, modern yeah. 21st century, whatever you want to call it, offense, you see what that's supposed to look like. And, you, you know, the fans or when you watch back on film study or watch different guys, you know, break down Georgia's, you know, offense and things like that. You're, you're as a fan, are seeing how wide open these guys are. You're seeing how wide open James Cook is in the flat. And if we just throw it to him, he's going to get 12 yards. Or how wide open, you know, these guys yeah. are. I, I think in that Florida yep. game, I counted three missed touchdowns. I mean, you, you, you could have looked in that game where it was just missing the spot or <laughs> overthrowing the guy or, or missing it. I mean, the one play that stands out, and it wouldn't have been a touchdown, yep. but the throw to the tight end where you actually hit it and the guy drops it. You know, in years past, may, James Coley actually got better to mm-hmm. me toward the end of the year last year at calling plays. 
it was a little rough early on. I felt like, but early later on in the year, I thought he was pretty good. This is the first year from beginning to end that mm-hmm. I could say I have not had a complaint really with yep. play calling, but execution just has not been there. I like what Todd Munkin's trying to do. I like what you know what he's what he's you know going on, and it's 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 a lot difficult. To, I know you can't criticize play calling when you're not in games like the Florida game. Like you can't criticize it because you weren't ever in the game to make a critical decision with play calling. But honestly, like you said, you I love what they're doing. I love what they're showing. A lot more RPOs. You know, they're a lot more spreading the ball out. You know, um, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Like I said that day we were talking was this is the first year to me in a while that your you skill have, position I mean, is, is stacked. You have the big power back. I mean, James you, Cook. You have your outside threats you can throw the ball to. And I'm sorry, you have the power back in Zamir White and your outside threat in James Cook, Kenny McIntosh. You have Kendall Milton who can run it between the tackles and still show, you know, yeah. kind of a, a Nick Chubb ability to get in space and get away from people, but run you over at the same time. And, and you know, the receiver position is yeah. you have, you know, scads of talent, you know, going from George Pickens. Yeah, Jackson. You got Jackson Pickens. Uh, uh, Burton, uh, Darnell uh, Washington. Uh, what's the tight end? Big zero. Yeah. Uh, uh, Darnell Washington. I mean, you, you've got to me, you've got more talent on the offensive side of the ball than you probably, yes. I won't say you get more talent, you've got more potential that there that you've had since probably the year you went to the national title. Now, I'm not saying they're as good, but you've got the potential there in the next year or two to get that talent where it needs to be, you know, um, for Georgia. Um, you know, it's – I think we mm-hmm. take for granted how good Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle was that year, you know. And, and uh, now you look at what you have this year, it just kind of bums you out. And I think, like I said, again, it's, it's another reason why it hurts so much oh, yeah. this year is you look at what the talent you have at, on offense, you're like, man, like, if oh, we yeah. don't straighten this out in another year or two, we're going to waste these guys. You're going to waste these talent that you've built up on offense because college is such a – Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, it, it comes and goes so fast, you know. Um, and and before you know it, you can look back and go, oh, mm-hmm. well, now we've yep. got the quarterback. Yep. But, crap, we don't have anybody to throw it to. <laughs> you know, now you don't have any receivers yep. out there. Now you don't have a running back that can do everything. Or you might have one running back, but like you said, you don't have oh, yeah. the, the three guys that could carry the load for you. Um, so, but, yeah, I think that's what hurts it. And I think going forward the next year, is huge for Kirby to me the next year or two years. Because, like I say, Florida's catching up now. You see it. Florida's catching up now. Um, South Carolina's about to rehire a coach who I hope it's not a guy that I really would love to see come to somewhere like Georgia. But, uh, you know, you've you got all these teams in the East that's coming up. And, plus, it's like kind of what me and you talked about. Even if you beat – Isaiah, say they beat – they would have beat – uh, Florida in that game. Say they would have pulled it off like 28 to 25, something like that. How good do you feel with the quarterback situation and what chances do you oh, think we had going against you, Alabama and the SEC with Alabama for a half? But did you, did you really compete or did they just have to figure out what they needed to do to beat you? I, I think it was, it was more of they just had to do yeah. more of feeling out, That's uh, exactly right. you know, kind of like boxers. They take the first, you know, first couple of rounds and feel each other out and see what the other guy's strategy may be and, and how they can attack. And I think that's what Alabama did. They felt Georgia out. They had, Georgia got the big turnover right there on the first play, if you remember. And then Georgia turns around and turns it over on on their first play or second play, whatever it was, because mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett. Yeah. 
Stetson Bennett can't see over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big lineman intercepted exactly. in. Yep. And I mean, only five you know, six. Alabama, they, they came in with a strategy of, <laughs> you know, we don't have to get home against Stetson Bennett. Just get your hands up. All, all, all their guys are bigger than Stetson Bennett. Just get your hands up on the defensive line. That's the first time, you know, Georgia had seen that. That's the first time, you know, they had seen a couple different things. And Stetson Bennett kind of paid the price. And, and you know, Georgia ultimately paid the price. But, you know, in looking at, at the whole – the whole realm of thing, everything we talked about with the offense being, you know, better this year, or not better, but, you know, play calling being better and, and looking at what's coming forward in the quarterback situation of having the guy and him getting away and, you know, looking at 2021 and beyond. What, what's the next step of the quarterback position? And we talked about, you know, today on Saturday, they're probably going to go with JT Daniels. So I, I think that's the right move if he's healthy and he can, you know, get out there and move and, and protect himself with the knee and everything. But looking at, at next season, what are you what are you hoping to see from that position? Because I don't think you're bringing in a Justin Fields. I don't – they're you know, those guys are, you know, they're maybe once in a lifetime. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you're going to go the transfer route again. I, I don't I don't see Georgia doing that. It's not been their M.O., you know, in past. You know, maybe they brought in the guy from Virginia, you know, a couple of years ago, and then they brought in, new, uh, you know, uh, Jamie new, uh, Newman and stuff like that. You know, it just – it hasn't worked out for them, so I doubt they go that route again. I, I'll be honest with you, I may be different, maybe mm-hmm. the only one different here, but I wouldn't want to see what you got with Carson Beck. I mean, I know – you know, I'm not – I guess he's a younger guy. He's he's injury-free. You know, I always worry about a guy who's had knee injuries and the way the offenses are run now. If if JT Daniels is a statue back there, well, it's not going to work. I mean, it just it, – it, you know, he, it's not going to work for him. I, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting a lot out of Daniels today. But I would kind of be interested with the having back because, you know, like you said, going forward, I don't want to put all my eggs in – this freshman coming in, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in the Vandergriff coming in to hope that he works out because if he doesn't, say the first game, mm-hmm. George is weird with their leashes on quarterbacks. You know, you a look half. at Mathis. They gave him, what, a half? Yeah, I mean, he got one half and he messes up and they jerk him out and they throw away all their evaluations at the point and go, okay, Bennett's our guy now. And they rode with Bennett all the way to the Florida game. They, they skipped out on the Alabama game when they could have pulled him and tried Mathis again or, or whoever. Oh, they yeah. didn't do it in the Kentucky game, which would have been a, a great time to try. I mean, you had a bye week, and then you go into Kentucky, you're struggling, you know, in the game. It would have been a perfect time to be like, okay, let's get Daniels out there if he's healthy, mm-hmm. or let's get Beck, or let's get, you know, somebody else. But he waits to the Florida game, mm-hmm. the, the literally the most crucial game of the year, and he's having to take him out. Yeah. I know some of it was due to injury and stuff, but we all knew it was coming, you know. Um, so you don't want to do this again next year. That's the thing. So if, if Daniels is the guy, then let's ride with Daniels the rest of the way, because next year, I think you, I think you have to ride Daniels again, unless, unless Vandergriff just comes in and blows you away. But, um, you know, right. I, I never have high hopes for a freshman in the SEC, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you just, I don't, I don't like putting it in there. And if, and if Kirby feels that, you know, feels that confident about it, then, you know, I guess you could, but um, I mean, we've done it before with Fromm and stuff. But uh, I think they've got a real issue at quarterback, not just this year, but even next year when, like we were talking about, the offensive talent's going to develop. You have another year of McIntosh, who I really like a lot, Milton, who I like a lot, uh, Darnell Washington, like you said, a tight end. The wide receiver's going to be another year. Oh, yeah. you know, I don't know what's going on with Pickens. I hope he can get back in there at some point. The dude's unreal, but – 
something's yeah. going on yeah. with him, whether it's mental or, or injury, whatever. But it's a whole other year of these guys are going to develop, and, and you're going to have a ton of talent. And, and like I say, you, you hate to see it wasted. You hate to see another year go down the drain. So, yeah, I, th- I think going forward, I would like to see Carson Beck. That's the guy I think you ride with toward the end of the year, especially if today, say, JT Downs just looks – say he doesn't look 100%. Oh, yeah. I just think you ride with Beck the rest of the year. You know, I think you got more potential in him, and I think you could even ride him next year for uh, most of the year if you had to, if he's if he's decent. You know, I, I don't think Georgia – maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Georgia has to have, you know, a – No, uh-huh. A Matthew Stafford in there or anything. I just think that you've yeah. got to have a guy that can push the ball downfield and can and can run the offense mm-hmm. that you're trying to run now, which is more RPOs and stuff. And so, um, if 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 it's Beck or whoever it is, they need to they need to move on. Though. They're exactly. going to have to make decisions to settle and move my, on. My biggest uh, fear for know. Georgia going into next season, and, so, and you know, thinking about next season, my biggest fear is Georgia turning into, you know, 2013 LSU. And if you remember that team, you know, they had Odell Beckham Jr., had Jarvis Landry, had, you know, a ton of weapons, had a solid offensive line. You know, Lael Collins, who plays for the Cowboys, um, he was on that offensive line. You had, you know, Trey Turner, I believe, who is an NFL guy. You had NFL talent littered all through that offense. Yep. Yeah, Odell and Jarvis, Jarvis Landry, Landry what he wide receiver with a good, yeah, good receiver had at the time. You had, I mean, you had, you know, defensive guys, you had good <laughs> yeah. players. You had Jalen Collins, a guy who we know a little too too fondly here in Atlanta. You had, um, had Jalen Mills, who's an NFL guy. You had, I mean, Tredavious <laughs> White was, was the third corner on that team. Um, you had a lot of talent. Quan Alexander, Deion Jones on those, well, you know, backups on that team. A ton of talent. You know, national championship caliber talent. But you Crazy. couldn't ever get it figured out. And part of that was a philosophy. Part of it was less miles in the ground and town type offense. That part of that was philosophy. But I still think that mm-hmm. with Mettenberger, you still didn't have the guy who, in a modern offense, could have done the things that you needed to do. So I think, you know, like you said, a guy that can push the ball down the field, you need a guy with game-breaking potential. Yeah. A guy who you can look at and believe that, you know, on this play, he can put the ball in a place to get it to a guy to take it the distance. Or – potentially even with his legs, you know, I think you need a guy who has the game-breaking potential. And that comes down to making the throws, like you said. comes down to physically commanding the offense and making the throws. And I'm with you. I think Carson Beck deserves a real shot. It's not like JT Daniels or or Stetson Bennett have been in Todd Munkin's offense for three years and Carson Beck is just showing up. You know, they've all had the same equal opportunity to learn it. Mm -hmm. So give the young guy a shot. I don't have high expectations for a freshman in the SEC, like you said. But nonetheless, I think he deserves his shot. And, I, you know, it's kind of akin to an NFL team who, who drafts a quarterback really high. And, you know, they see they're not going to be very good this year anyway. And so kind of like what the Dolphins did with Tua Tagovailoa, I know it worked out for them and they're looking like a playoff team. But more times than not, that's not the case. But you evaluate your talent. You put that guy out there after the bye week for six or seven games and see what he can do. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's akin to that. It's akin to talent evaluation, seeing what you have in Carson Beck seeing if he has, you know, the raw skills and the ability before you look at Brock Vandergriff. Because if he doesn't and JT Daniels doesn't look like he's able to or, you know, or is healthy right now, then you still kind of have a two-headed quarterback competition coming into next year between Vandergriff and seeing and evaluating him and then JT Daniels. But if Carson Beck can grab this thing by the horns and take over, I don't think there's a competition. I think it's this guy performed at the end of the year last year. He's our guy. It's his, it's his job to, to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
or just bring stability. Just bring, just come in and be be consistent. Be a guy that when you throw a ball plus twenty yards, plus fifteen yards, it is on point. It's accurate. Even if the play is not completed, you mm-hmm. went okay. Well, the, the the throw was there. You know, the guy's got the potential to be there. You know what? I, what you hate to see right now is is the in and out. Is where you see Bennett throw a ball and you're going, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think my eight-year-old son could have threw that ball farther than that and more on point. So I, I think that's where a lot of Georgia fans are at right now. It's just that, you know, it's it's the execution at the position where you go, we're, we have to change. Mm-hmm. not like, oh, that was – you know, I remember watching Eason his freshman year, you know, and, and I still think Eason got a bad rap at Georgia because of his injury and stuff. But Eason his freshman year, man, he was making throws. throws. The game against uh, Missouri, the throw to win the game at the end of the game, Dude, that was a mm-hmm. big time throw he made. Georgia Tech, when he made the throw at Georgia Tech to win the game, man. Like, no, no. there's other plays in that year that he made mistakes, and you went, okay, that's a freshman mistake. But there were throws like that yeah. that you go, even this Tennessee, the top, like, top football game, he legit, did. you know. Was it Riley uh, Ridley down the sideline? Yeah. Those are big time throws. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hit the yes. guy in stride, yep. you know, yep. between safety and corner and let the guy go run with it. Those are big time throws. But, you know, really quickly here yeah. to close out before yeah, exactly. we jump to, to the Falcons and, and live in that, you know, misery or purgatory, whatever you want to call it, for a minute. Um, you know, some people are saying that, you yeah, know, the Florida yeah. loss, you know, quote-unquote starts the clock on Kirby Smart at UGA. And that was kind of a school of thought on Twitter. And, you know, immediately after the game, I don't know if that was so much knee-jerk reaction and, and you know, feeling in the moment and, and you come back on, on Sunday and you think, okay, that was kind of the dumb tweet, you know, the dumb thing to say. But – I want to hear your opinion on that because it, it was mm-hmm. some things some people were saying. Yeah, a lot. Um, do you think the clock, the quote-unquote clock, has started on Kirby Smart, or do you still think he has the leash to go out here and even if he doesn't win a national, you know, get back next year, or even the next year, he's still in good standing at the university? All right, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm not a big research guy, I'm a big numbers guy. I got I to do more studying on this stuff uh, more. But this is the one question that I studied a lot because here's the my question. I think we have to ask ourselves, is turning around a college football program a long-term project or a short, short-term project? And, you know, the, the, Georgia to me was not a, a school that needed to turn around, you know, anyway. But just say it was a school that you felt like turning around. I think most people think, oh, well, it takes time to do that. Well, I started looking into it. How many coaches, Isaiah, do you think in the last – since 2004, I went back and looked at it. How many coaches do you think won their first national title at the program oh, I would, past their fifth season? I mean, all of them, probably, with the exception of maybe Saban and Dabo. Only one guy has won a national title past his fifth year at the same school. Now, like you said, there's guys that has won multiple national titles past their fifth years, but their very first national title at the school they started at or the school they're at okay. past their fifth year is only one guy, and that's Dabo Sweeney. I thought Jimbo Fisher was another one. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, Jimbo, he won one past his fifth year at Florida State. He won it in his fourth season at Florida State. He was the offensive coordinator, you know, there for mm-hmm. a time, and then he had what, and then he stepped in the head coach. That's why it sounded like he was there longer. But every other coach that has won a national title, their first national title, came within their first five seasons at a college. So if this range true, if this keeps going, you're looking at there's only been really one anomaly. 
and that is Dabo Sweeney. But you could go back, and if you look at Dabo's track record, oh, yeah. he was having multiple 10-win seasons prior to his first national title. Mm-hmm. You know, they had went to the college playoff. They had won, like, the Orange Bowl. Like, you could see he was building a contender. You know, it wasn't – there was no drop-off. There was no drop-off from the time he started to the time that he got his title. So, the question I think people have to ask is, do you think Kirby can be an anomaly like Dabo and win it past his fifth season? Because I do believe college is a trend type, you know, kind of pulling kids in and getting them to buy in and getting them to do all this stuff to your program and all that kind of stuff. I think you ride that wave of hype as a coach comes in to help you recruit more kids in. So, now you're – you know, we're at, you know, this so. is mm-hmm. fifth year for Kirby, right? Am I wrong? I think it's his fifth year this year. Um, so, you're looking and going, okay, so is he on the Dabo track? Because, you know, yeah. originally mm-hmm. a lot of people thought he was on the, the Saban track where, you know, you you, 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 you go eight and eight, you have, the, you know, you go, or, or, you know, you have this 500 type year, you're kind of really close, you're decent. And then, you know, their third year, you go to the title and you win in their fourth season, whatever you win it, then you just, you build, you build. Well, that's not been what Kirby's done. You know, since they've went to the national title game, it, you know, you brought in fields, you know, you had this huge wave of like, oh, like hype, like, okay, Georgia's, you know, now the program's at this perennial thing. And see, that's what you wanted Georgia to be. You got rid of Mark Rick, not to be the best team in the East, but you got Kirby to be the best team in the nation. That's what you got Kirby for. So, you got that. You went to the national title. You lost. You, you, you recruit fields. You're recruiting all these guys. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, Definitely. Recruiting wise, Kirby has knocked it out of the park. But now, now you're looking at the last two seasons. You've been pedestrian the last two seasons. You can say, "Oh, well, last year you went to the SEC championship." <laughs> I never felt like we were in that game against LSU. I mean, even from the beginning, you're like, "This is just, you know, maybe we'll get lucky." But why is it that's how we're feeling as Georgia fans? Even now, going to mm-hmm. Florida, it was like. Or Alabama again this year. You're like, maybe we'll get lucky. That's not what you do as a as a as a national mm-hmm. contending team like Clemson. When they went to Notre Dame, even though they lost, people went. Notre Dame got lucky to beat Clemson. Why is Georgia not there? And 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 do you think Georgia get there? Honestly, I don't think Kirby is the guy that could do that. I don't think Kirby is the one that's gonna. You know, he's not shown that he can consistently keep top talent in there and that he can get production out of that top talent and make the tough decisions that makes you that perennial team. Um, I, I think I think next year is definitely a huge year for him because, you know, we hope that, that JT Daniels is the guy today. I hope that, you know, maybe Carson Beck is the guy. And then I hope that, you know, maybe Vandergriff, when he comes mm-hmm. in next year, he's the guy if all of the other ones fail. But what if all of them are not, Isaiah? Like, what if all of them – are Jake from 2.0 even? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what if they're more of the same of what we had at the quarterback position and, and your defense is still giving up 40-plus points in some of your biggest games next year? I think you have to look at Kirby and say, Definitely. okay, change. I think change needs to be made. Um, six seasons is more than enough time to see what you have there. Uh, so, you know, there's a guy that I love that I think Georgia fans – you know, we talked about it a little bit. You know, I, I love someone like mm-hmm. Hugh Freeze offensively. I wish he would have brought him as the offensive coordinator. But, you know, if South Carolina hires somebody like him, man, with his SEC ties and the ability to recruit like he recruits now, <laughs> if he does it the legal way and not by calling escorts. But, you know, if, if, 
if everything is on the up and up, you know, like that guy can win. And now you're talking about, you know, three more teams mm-hmm. in Tennessee's been coming back. I know they haven't, you know, they've underperformed some this year, but, you know, everybody's talking about Tennessee some. South Carolina comes back up, and then you got Florida. There's three teams in the East. And again, we don't need to focus on the East. Uh, yeah. I think Texas AM is better than and you right Like now. you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Kirby Smart wasn't brought here to win 10 games, win the East, play for an SEC title. Like those, those weren't things Kirby Smart was brought here to do. Like when you look at Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney, you know, in, in the anomaly that he was in, in winning the national title after his fifth year, Dabo Sweeney had a bit more of a project as well. If you if you look at where Clemson was, you know, a, a six seven win school consistently, and you know, for a while there with you know yeah. Boyd and, and those guys and Cole Stout, CJ Spiller, he was he had that talent, but ten <laughs> wins was a good season considering their track mm-hmm. record. So uh, those three, two, really three, four, ten win seasons in a row. You know, administration fans were happy. We hey, we ain't won ten games in a long time. So that was, but Dabo continued to build, and then he yeah. took it to the next level. That's what you don't see a lot of times. A lot of times you'll see this this guy, you know, a guy come in and get the team take one step, but can't take the second step to national prominence, and that's what everyone is looking for. But if you look at you know Georgia, Martin Rick had the team at the ten win plateau, the nine to ten wins. Good bowl game, compete for the East, put your, you know, make the Florida game, the champion, you know, SEC East championship, those kind of things. You know, Martin Rick did, did that. Yeah, and I, I make I make the argument that that the talent that Rick had in there is the talent that oh, yeah. Kirby actually went to his national title with. You know, I mean, the the talent that carried that team. You know, a, a lot of it was from. Rick's error of his recruiting. Now, now I do believe that Kirby got more out of them than maybe what Rick could have done. I, you know, you, you never know. But um, that talent was Rick's, the, uh, offensively especially. We had, if if not for the offensive talent on that side of the ball, uh, you, you're not in. I mean, look at the scores of those games. It wasn't like you were Alabama in it where you held guys to seven and 14 points. You know, you're having to score 30-plus points against Oklahoma and then – 30 points against Alabama, you know. So, um, it, I, I think the the criticism for Kirby is what have you done with the talent of your guys that you have brought in? What talent have we exactly. looked at and went, oh, that's a perennial talent, even recruiting-wise, like that you looked at and you went, that guy that Kirby brought in and developed, he's perennial talent that exactly. only exactly. Kirby could have done with that. that you know what I'm and, saying? And you got to think. From you know, going back to Mark Rick in that comparison, I think if you have a college football playoff, Mark Rick puts a team in the playoff prior to you know 2012. You have yes. you know Aaron Murray, Todd Gurley, that team, the Stafford, Marino, Massaqua teams. Those teams make the playoff is is yep. is the thing in a four team deal. Now two teams yep. with a computer making the calls, it's a little different. But in a four-team scenario where you have a panel of people looking yep. at the best teams in the country and saying that team is one of the best four teams, Mark Rick maybe had three, four teams in it and probably could have won a, won a national title, if you think about it. Um, potentially could have won one. So, Yep. The year they won the SEC championship, the mm-hmm. first year he won yep. it with uh, David Green and him. Uh, DJ Shockley's year, yeah. Uh, Shockley and him's year was really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm like you. I, I believe the Aaron Murray well, year that mm-hmm. we played Alabama, everybody knows that was the national title because, you know, Alabama goes on to blow out Notre Dame. So you could arguably look at Rick and say, 
three years, he would have been in the playoffs. Now, again, I'm, I would never say he would win a title because, you know, that's the best team in the nation. It's hard to argue. But there's no doubt, like you said, you expand it to four teams. Georgia, three years of those would have been in those playoffs for sure, I think, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, the, in the format it is now, you know. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think the criticism for Kirby, people that are, that are adamant defenders of Kirby, I think they're blinded by the mm-hmm. faith that he's a Georgia alum. Yeah and not by his coaching ability, because I think based solely on coaching ability, the criticism is warranted. I'm not saying fire the guy today. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, next year, yes, I do believe, like you said, the clock has started, and I think next year is a big year for Kirby. I think it's a huge year for Kirby next year going forward. You know, one other last point I want to make is that a lot of people say, oh, well, you can't judge Kirby by Nick Saban standards because there's probably only going to be one Nick Saban. But – but the idea that, you know, Mark Ricks had the team at the precipice that Kirby Smart is currently at. And so the next step is saving level. Am, am I wrong in, in thinking that? Yeah. No, no, that's 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you definitely are judging him by Rick's standards. Like, because that's the bar that we're going by. Because you left, you, you, you let Rick go. And I'm not saying they shouldn't let Rick go. I thought when they let Rick go, it's two years too late that they let Rick go. But I, I think – that comparison is definitely there. And, and I don't compare him to Saban. Oh, yeah. I compare him to top coaches right now. He's not even Jimbo Fisher right now. I mean, Jimbo Fisher won a title at Florida State, leaves, comes to Texas A&M. Now Texas A&M is, is, is up there as one of the best teams oh, yeah. in the SEC. I would say they're the second best team. If, you know, um, I know Florida and Alabama is going to play in, in the SEC championship. We know that unless something crazy happens. But A&M – should be a team is it should be don't I would not be shocked if A and M ends mm-hmm. up in the playoff as you know like Alabama's done in the past where they sit on the outside watching and they go well we need another team and this is the best yeah. team even though they didn't play the next three games so um you know I, I think you know you just look around and compare them to what currently uh the guy that's in Ohio State Ryan now Day. that took over for Urban Meyer uh his name's Luke yeah Ryan Day I mean. He's not even doing what he did. Mm-hmm. Ryan Day said, fine, give me Justin Fields. Look what I'm doing with him. So, I mean, and, and you know, people say well, it's different this. It's, it's, you know, SEC, blah, blah, blah. You know, no, it, it, it's the fact of produced. My thing is, that, you know, looking at turning out and, and, and getting production out of these talents that you're bringing in. And, and the Georgia the last two, three years, two years, Kirby's talent has not produced like they should. And, you know, it, it, like you said, the clock's going now because you, you, you're, you're going to go, okay, two years I've not produced. We'll give you another year. But, man, we need to start seeing some of these guys turn into these studs like what you say they're going to be. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think the comparison is, is – it's not to me Saban and, and Kirby. It, it's Kirby to top perennial mm-hmm. schools in the nation. Uh, and, definitely. And that's the well, comparison. I definitely like that. I think that's, that's great stuff and good things to think about as, as the next season, you know, approaches and we get closer to it and you know we see signing day happen and all that stuff um but nonetheless I, that's all we have for georgia football today um you know got definitely a deep dive into that and and you know i think that's that's what you want to do mid-season you know as a as an analyst and, and as a fan you kind of want to look deeper at, at that mid-season point and near the bye week and all that stuff and, and really analyze where you know where's where are we going where, where do we think we're going to go and things can change obviously you know freaky things can happen you can flip a guy you didn't think you were going to get and that changed the direction of everything. But nonetheless, I think it's important to be realistic. And I really feel like that's, that's what we've done here is given some realistic analysis and, 
and put some hard topics out there on the table. Nobody wants to talk about when, you know, when's, when's it Kirby Smart's time to go? Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's nonetheless a topic that, that needs to be discussed. You know, where, where are we in, in that hierarchy? And so um, definitely glad to be able to provide that. So we're going to step away for a quick minute and take a short break. But when we get back, um, we're going to keep it in the 404 and talk about the Atlanta Falcons and really and dive into the head coaching search for just a bit here before we get out for the day. So stick with us and we will be right back. I'm Isaiah, the host of the 404. I'm 24, a reporter, and looking for my shot in sports radio. You see, Atlanta, to me, is the best city in the world, even with all of our traffic, crazy weather, and the sports collapses. You see, with this podcast, I don't want things to be about me, though. Instead, I want it to be a place, or a forum, if you will, where you, the fans, come to discuss the good, the bad, and even the ugly about sports in the 404. You see, forums came from ancient Rome as a place for them to discuss the events of the day. As we know, Rome was a place with art, music, and sports, all things the 404 is very well known for. And if the ancient Romans needed a place to sound off on the issues of the day, well, let's just say Atlanta sports fans are long overdue for theirs. New episodes will be dropping weekly, so please be sure to listen, like, subscribe, and leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to give us a like on Facebook at The 404. And let me hear your thoughts, opinions, and even hot takes on the happenings of the 404 sports world. Remember, it's a forum, so we always want to hear what you have to say. What's up, guys? We're back. This is Isaiah Smith on, on the 404 podcast. I have Saul McCoy still with me. Still hanging tough and ready to talk some Falcons and, and, their, and the misery that, that we're dealing with there. Um, so, you know, the Falcons, they've been hot over the past couple of weeks. We, you know, had the showdown with the Saints by the time you guys probably hear this. They will have either played the Saints or we about to play the Saints. So, um, hopefully that, that turn goes in Atlanta's favor. You always want to beat a rival, always want to beat the Saints. But in the interest of, you know, looking forward to next year, because I don't, I don't think that, that, you know, what we're seeing this year is, is going to be what we see next year in all cases. Um, but, you know, next head coach, looking out at the field, I think the Falcons have a top two, top three job. Um, as far as head coaching vacancies, barring, you know, something crazy happening or some, some you know, weird, weird thing happening. Um, who do you want? Who, who's, if you could pick, you know, anyone's, everyone lined up and said, hey, whoever you pick is the next head coach of the Falcons, who's your guy? I love the Falcons' new jersey. I mean, it, I, is that okay to say? I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if, if everybody feels the same. I, I love their New Jersey. I know that's a random <laughs> thought, and I've got another random thought I want to ask you before we get done with this too. But I love the white stuff, man. That it looks those looks. I honestly, I'm yeah. like, it kind of sucks we're not relevant because the all we look fantastic. The all Julio Jones and the all white. I didn't think I was gonna like it. I love it. Oh, it looks fantastic. I do too. I like the red jerseys. But I, it really sucks. I'm like, you know, we may suck this year, we good. but we look fantastic mm-hmm. doing it in these new swag bat jerseys. It's awesome. The other thing is, are we back to rise up now since we're done with the brotherhood and Dolphins going? Is that our motto now? We need or a, are we still uh, brotherhood? I think the next guy, you got to tell him, look, you can't have a motto because if this thing goes <laughs> south, if you don't win, you know, 12 games in year one or, you know, even win, you know, 10 games in year one. People are going to turn on your motto. Dan Quinn had 44 different mottos. He had a new motto every week. <laughs> yeah. He had, you know, we were – at he one did. point we were embracing the suck, whatever that meant. And, 
another point we were the brotherhood and then yeah, brothership yeah. or some mess like that. And then they started losing and he was he was mad as crap. Or, <laughs> I don't know. So let's just Yeah, we're pissed we're off. Pissed yeah, off for greatness or something like that. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> just, yeah. uh, I, I just I just didn't know if what we're going with now, what I needed to change just, just this Sunday. Because I think I, just I no modern. Let's just definitely. beat the Saints. Let's right. go in let's Let's beat the Saints. Let's this let they the Saints. are disrespecting yeah. you. They're saying that you can't stop Taysom Hill, or that you know they can beat you with Taysom Hill. Whatever. Let's go in there. Let's put a hurting on Taysom Hill and Sean Payton, and yeah, potentially get a playoff spot out of that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Glad I got <laughs> two things off my chest. I just had to say that. Uh, who do I want at quarterback? Hi, I mean, uh, uh, at uh, coach, head coach. I, I don't. I think it, it depends on what route we're going. Are we rebuilding, or are we trying to ride another year to two I years the, with what I we I think have? the rebuild you know what I mean? sailed. I think you've won too many games. If you're going to rebuild, the idea is you rebuild with yeah. one of the two quarterbacks yeah. or three quarterbacks or even four quarterbacks, you know, that you feel like could come in day one and be successful. So I don't think you're yeah. rebuilding. I think you're revamping a lot. You're going to make some changes, no doubt. But I, I think the rebuild ship has sailed, at least for this yeah. season. And you're saying, okay, the guys we have, number one, their contracts are, are too, still, still making too much money to move Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, a lot of those guys. So, with that in mind, I think you're saying we can still win with these guys. And I think you can. I think we've, they've shown that. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think it showed this year, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who's at the helm, this team's good enough to win, Oh yeah, you know, a good amount of games. You know, I, I think with somebody like Matt Ryan, the offense mm-hmm. is going to be what there are. You know, they're going to consistently be good. You know, what you're hoping is somebody comes in and takes it to another level. I do think defensively they've started bringing pressure. I mean, they had – I mean, I don't know how many sacks they had last week. Uh, they were – but they were getting a lot of pressure. I know uh, Khan mm-hmm. was the defensive player of the week. And, you know, I mean, they, you know, the defense has been playing, you know, a lot better, which is kind of crazy because <laughs> that's what Dan Quinn was, yep. you know, was for was the defense. But I do think the defense has played better, which they didn't – I mean, when you're playing as bad as they did, you know, just mm-hmm. not giving up 30 points is a is a win, you know. But um, I guess if if I think what's more important nowadays, do you think? Do you think GM's more important or I think a head coach? They're is? both in, in my eyes. They're equally important. They just need to be on the same page. Say what you will about Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov. They were on the same yeah. page. They they drove they drove that thing in the ground together. Yeah. And they were linked at the hip, and they deserve to be let yep. go together. It doesn't matter if Thomas Dimitrov said he was he was surprised or not. Um, they 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 attached themselves, yeah. aligned yeah. their philosophies, and went for it. And I think in an organization, any job, you know, if you have a, a higher high manager and then a floor you know floor manager, if you will, for example, they need to be on the same page about the vision of, of, of where this thing is going, of where you want to go. So, I think it doesn't matter which you say is more important. I think you may want to hire your GM first, but you just need to make sure you got two guys that are on the same yeah. page and can work together. I think that's most important. Yeah. I, I see two routes they could go. You know, I, I think, you know, option A is like if you stick with what you have, like you say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to stick with what we have. We don't want to do a lot of trades. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're, that's who we're kind of looking for as a GM and head coach. But I think if that's your route, I kind of say you go the route of like what San Francisco and, you know, the Raiders did, I think you bring in somebody kind of like a Mayock or either uh, 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 Lynch that has, you know, they see how the game has changed and how college schemes are working now. 
but you bring in an NFL coach that, you know, they can work with somebody you know, like Derek Carr with the Raiders and, you know, you brought in Garoppolo with um, over there. You know, they said, you know, hey, we're not stripping it down and rebuilding. We're just going to tinker some things and bring, you know, infuse some new things. So I think that's one route you can go if you do that. I think the guy from the Chiefs is, you know, is who you would want. You know, I don't know if, if Atlanta is the number one destination. I mean, I don't know who in their yeah. right mind would want to go coach the Jets right now. But, you know, I guess if you had to look at getting Trevor Lawrence and all these other guys, maybe. But I, I do think between the Texans, though, and the Falcons is probably the two top places. I guess maybe the Texans a little bit more, being that you have a young quarterback and draft they can do more. Because they, you know, um, Bill O'Brien mortgaged the franchise to, to – Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, he gave everything away. Yeah, you're right. It, it, I, I guess you could say Atlanta is one of the, is, is one of the top positions where you'll have your pick and, may, and maybe you get uh, – the, the OC from from the Chiefs, which I'm not a big fan of because I feel like, you know, when you got a guy like Mahomes and Andy Reid who's calling plays, you never know, like, how much he's really doing and how much he's really a part. Now, mm-hmm. not saying he can't learn, you know, even being on the sidelines around those, you know, somebody like Andy Reid is a huge difference, you know. And so I think you go that route. I would like to see a GM that, you know, has been, you know, I don't know who's out there and who would be interested, but a GM like, mm-hmm. like I said, like Mayock or a Lynch, who's been an analyst that has seen how the game has kind of changed and knows a lot about the college game to where, you know, they can put some of those schemes in and, and, and you know, bring in that kind of talent. Um, and then I think option B, though, if you're looking at, you're wanting to rebuild, tear down, I would go the route of what Arizona did, and, you know, bring in a college coach and, and, Mm-hmm. And, you know, try to rebuild this thing. Maybe try to draft you one of these four young quarterbacks that's there uh, that, that you feel like maybe you could get in the top ten or the or the top, you know, maybe you're getting closer if you lose, which I was rooting for the Falcons to lose, lose, lose. Yeah. Man, I'm going Fields or Lawrence all the way. <laughs> you know, yep. let's tear down and just rebuild, you know. But, uh, but you know, I, I think you go either way. I, I don't think – what I, I love Matt Ryan, man. I, I'm, you know, I think Matt Ryan will go down as the best quarterback Without in the Falcons franchise history. Yes, even over Vic, and and I think no doubt he will he will always be remembered as the guy that brought Atlanta back from yes. suck because you know Joey Harrington, <laughs> you know, was the guy he's stepping in for, and, and everybody's like, oh my god, you know, and and uh, uh, mm-hmm. Petrino leaves us hanging, you know, with a letter on his desk, apparently just like, hey guys, I'm out, you know, and. Um, so, you know, him, I think he'll go down as the guy that brought this franchise some stability and consistency. And so I would love to see Ryan stick around for a year or two and, and oh, yeah. win a championship. You know, oh, that, that would be unreal. I think the question you have to ask yeah. is can I think that's a fair question. I think, you know, what are Matt Ryan's – what's his ability level going forward? I think he does have two to three more years at, at – the level he's at, you know, he's the third leading passer in the NFL right now, I believe third or fourth leading passer. Um, he, he's still getting the job done, you know, and, and the Falcons are finding what you know, they're losing, not because of him. They're, you know, they're, they're winning because of him actually, with the exception of a couple games. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt Ryan has been, you know, vintage Matt Ryan. He's gotten the job done. He's put the ball, you know, on the money. He's gotten the ball to his playmakers, even without, you know, Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones for stretches, you know, in separate time periods. He's still finding ways to involve Alameda Zacchaeus. He's finding ways to involve, um, you know, Powell and those guys. So I think Matt Ryan can still get the job done for, you know, two to three more seasons for sure. But I personally think – I think Eric Bieniemy is – he's got to be number one on anyone's head coaching vacancy. Um, 
you know, they're with a head coaching vacancy. He's got to be number one on their list. Um, also, looking around kind of the the lay of the land, a lot of people think Joe Brady, um, the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator that kind of revitalized what, you know, LSU did and helped them win a national title. Mm-hmm. If I say he's LSU too, wasn't Joe Burrow. With, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, with so, Burrow's yeah Joe Brady's a guy mm-hmm. that I think may, is going to get some looks without a doubt. Um, also, Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator in um, Buffalo, uh, offensive coordinator in Buffalo, and you know, kind of made them the offensive juggernaut. Yeah, I like what they're mm-hmm. doing with Josh Allen and him. Yeah, yeah they're Brian been, Dayball been the, good this year. Somebody said Byron no, Leftwich. No. no. That's what I said. No, but I seen like I was reading that's where you look at all these top I was reading some articles about, you know, who were the candidates who, you know, other teams were looking at and like top head coaching candidates. And one of them had Byron left, which I was like, Yeah. I didn't know he was coaching right now. And apparently he's the offensive <laughs> yeah, coordinator he's the at, at the Bucks. He's one of the guys on my short list of no stay away. Don't touch it with don't touch him with a ten foot pole. Don't even make them think you're interested. Um, yeah. Josh McDaniels is, is yeah. on my list. Just a guy that I don't know if I know he's a great offensive coordinator, but I don't know if he can be what you know, kind of Sean Payton is, who is a good head coach, but you know, more of an offensive-minded guy, if you will. You know, Sean Payton being the yeah. guy who calls the plays yeah. and kind of makes you know a lot of those 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 decisions. I don't know if if Josh McDaniels can can make take himself from really good offensive coordinator and Belichick scheme to good head coach somewhere else that still leaves the defense alone and really focuses on the offense in the way Sean Payton does. And also also Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Keep me out of the Jim Harbaugh sweepstakes. I don't want the drama. I don't want the – I don't want it. He, yeah. he essentially, you know, was a problem in San Francisco. I know that was tension between him and the front office. But, you know, if, if you can't get along with, with, with your front office, again – that doesn't set you up for success. So, you know, personally, I think the enemy's on the short list. Um, a lot of people are saying Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator. I think you need to go offense, whatever you do. I think offense is the – I was going to say, so you, I think that's what you got to do too. I think offense is where it's going. I think you have to go offense as well. At whatever coach or level it is, I think you have to have an Without offensive a doubt. minded guy. Without a doubt. Offense is, sure. is definitely the move because you have to – if – a greater percentage of your cap is tied up on that side of the football. You have to think you're going to win games offensively. That's the side of the ball you're going to win win games on. So yeah. you need to get every you know get every ounce you can out of that offense, and then make the defense good enough. If the defense can be good enough, as we saw in their Super Bowl run, if that defense can just be good enough, then but don't break, you can win games on on your offenses back with them scoring you know 28, 31, 35 points. Do, do you think there's any there's any pull for somebody like Dabo to try to come to the NFL, and if there is, would you want somebody like him? What about him or Urban Myers? You know, who who's never really made the jump to the NFL? Would if would you just back the truck up to him and say, "Hey, come"? Or, or would you not, would you want somebody at the do you want somebody at the NFL level and take a coordinator, or, or do you think you could go and pull maybe somebody like Dabo or Urban in, if you could? In would your you, total rebuild scenario that you kind of talked about. I think there is some attraction there. Um, look at Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who was a decent college head coach. He wasn't great, wasn't winning national titles left and right. Um, look at what he's doing with Arizona. They're you know, probably going to be a playoff team. They look very good, exciting, fun to watch, all that stuff. So if you were able to give you know, Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, a guy like that, Urban Meyer potentially, if you're able to, like to give Riley. that guy yeah. you know, their quarterback, their 
this is who I want to take. This is who I want to build my franchise around. I think that you you definitely have the opportunity. You 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 can make that decision. But if you're asking Lincoln Riley to make Matt Ryan fit his system, I don't know. You know, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. If you're asking yeah. you know, Dabo yeah. Sweeney to work with you know Matt Ryan for three years, which I I believe those guys could, they could figure out a made a way to make it work with the guys around them. I don't know if that's the right move. I think getting a guy with some NFL experience, NFL pedigree is is the way to go right now. Now, if you see that doesn't work in three to four years and you're middling or you're coming off of a, a championship and, you know, it's very clear that this guy is not going to be the guy to go through the rebuild process with, then I think you maybe can take a look there when you know you're going to get a high draft pick. You know, you know, you know some more things are going to shake out in your favor in the, in the draft and things like that. But right now, I think NFL pedigree is the way to go. Because you have so many, you have so many professionals on that roster, if you will. You have so many guys who have been in the league and spent years there, and they need a guy that can come in and command that respect. And not saying that Davo doesn't command respect, the Lincoln Riley doesn't command respect, but it's different yeah. stepping into an NFL locker room with, you know, instead of you're coaching, you know, young men or you know, you know, you know, yeah, you know, eighteen, twenty year olds. You're doing thirty, yeah. you know, 20, Lincoln Riley's coaching guys. guys that might be yeah. older than him in some cases, in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. So, you know, yep. it, it's one of those things that, you know, you have to – you need a guy that can come in and really command that locker room. Because say what you will about Dan Quinn, the players loved him. But I don't – you know, there's a difference yeah. in, in liking someone and respecting them, you know. And I don't know that Dan Quinn always commanded the respect that was necessary to get the most out of everyone on on, on the roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, is there any way you think Raheem oh, Morris? I, keeps you the know, job? last last week, you know, in the podcast, I predicted Raheem Morris would be the the head coach next year. That was my prediction. That was my what I thought. Knowing the way that, that Arthur Blank and the Falcons like stability in the franchise, the way they like to keep things, you know, so yeah. good things working. We're going to give it as many opportunities to work as we can. Look at what Dan Quinn did last year, keeping his job after winning five or six games. I think Raheem Morris can beat the Saints and get this team close to the playoff line at the end of the year and show improvement, continue showing improvement, I think they'll run it back. I really do. I, I think they'll give some other guys some looks. But unless yeah. the enemy is willing to say, hey, no, hire me, please, I want to come to Atlanta, or a guy that's clearly better than, than Raheem Morris, I think it will be um, it will be Raheem Morris again. And, and I don't think that's always necessarily a terrible thing. You know, in the city of Atlanta, you get have another black head coach that's, you know, going to do things for the culture, and, and a lot of people are, would be excited about the prospect of that between him or the enemy. Um, and also, I think Raheem Morris is, is has earned his opportunity. He didn't succeed in Tampa, you know. Previously, went you know went through the steps, became a coordinator, position coach. Worked. He has experience on both sides of the football. Um, I think Raheem Morris, if given an opportunity to go at it full time with Jeff Albrecht as defensive coordinator, I think those guys maybe can get the job done. Um, I don't know that I want Dirk Cutter back, yeah. but if Dirk Cutter's gonna if Dirk Cutter's gonna <laughs> do his Dirk Cutter stuff and him and Matt Ryan can figure it out. And they get the personnel to do Dirk Cutter's offense and not, you know, the zone run that Dan Quinn tried to, you know, make a square peg fit into a round hole with every coordinator except Shanahan. Um, you know, I think I think it could work. I, I'm not I'm not 100 yeah. percent against the hire, but I do know that whoever you get, you need to they need to know that, hey, we're in win now mode. We got three to four years to do this thing and get what yeah. we need to get and get it done. So look at, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm not against the Raheem Morris. You know, he. I think he has to have a change of, uh, 
I think you have to win and, like you said, get close to the playoffs. I'm not saying make the playoffs, but get close. Another thing about Kevin Morris, I think if there's nobody else out there better, oh, yeah. then hang on to him. You know, if you don't feel like if, – if, you know, Blimey or, 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 or Brady or whoever it is you wanted, if they go, no, we're not coming because you're kind of locked in in your situation with Ryan and some of the other guys on offense to where I, I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted to do, then, then say, okay, well, we're going to keep Raheem. And then maybe a year or two down the road, if it doesn't work out, or a year, then you could go get the guy you want. Because to me, say Dabo says, "Hey, I want to come, but I want to get my guys." This is the best place to come do it at. You have a you have an owner that is loyal mm-hmm. to a fault. I mean, we've seen him be loyal to coaches to a fault, where he will not fire him. He'll hang tough with them and go, "I believe in their process." You know what college coach would not like, like you said, Lincoln Riley or a a Urban Meyer or you know, one of these guys that say, hey, I can build a, a winner if I have time in my picks. And, you know, yeah, like I, I think, you know, hold on to Raheem Morris for this year or two, see what happens. And then when Dabo, you know, in another year or two, and you're saying, hey, you know, we're free of this big contract from Ryan. We're free of these contracts here and there. Uh, come in and, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll give you – I'll give you, you know, what did the Raiders sign Gruden for? Wasn't it a 10-year deal? deal? I mean, didn't they put him down for 10 mm-hmm. years, him and Bayock? I mean – you know, they're riding with him. So, you know, I think if you want a guy that you – that, you know, I, I like the college route, but I'm like you. It depends if you want to win now, which I think they are in win now mode because of Ryan, I think you have to go to the NFL level. But if you can hang on to Raheem for a year or two to try that out, and then down the road you're like, hey, let's – I think Atlanta is a perfect place for a college coach to make the jump. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I, I think Atlanta has a owner and leadership that they're going, hey – we will stick with you through the hard times. If you recruit, if you bring in somebody and they struggle, hey, we'll hang with you till you build what you feel like you need to build. You know, so uh, that's the only thing I say about getting a college coach. I wouldn't mind it because I think it's the best place to do it with the owners that you with the Without owner that you have. Without a doubt, I think I think the the ownership in Atlanta it's what makes it such one of the things that that makes it such a, a, a lucrative position for a top tier GM or you know a top tier head coach or a college coach or whomever. I think, like you said, the loyalty to a fault and the knowing that you're not going to be like, um, like the Cowboys head coach. Um, you're not. You're not going to oh, go yeah. in it with a year, lose your best player, and they're still talking about getting your butt out of there. I think that is yeah. is is one of the things. And the cohesiveness of you know the front office for the front office is going to have with top management that is also going to have with the head coach. The the cohesiveness there. You don't have a Jerry and Stephen Jones situation where Stephen Jones wanted Dan Mullen and. Jerry Jones wants a guy with Super Bowl experience, and there's you know the butting of heads, and Jerry Jones goes on the radio and threatens your job this week, and then praises you the next week, and you know it, you don't you don't have that situation <laughs> in Atlanta. You're you're going to be asked to do your job, but you're also going to yeah. get the utmost support, and I think that's that's one of the things that that makes it a good job. So jumping forward, really, I think you could even compare the the Falcons to mm-hmm. the Steelers. You know, you talking about well, I, you know how many people in like national people are saying, oh, this is the end for uh, Mike Tomlin. Oh my gosh, their head coach Mike Tomlin. Yeah, how many people said Mike Tomlin's done? Like he needs to be fired mm-hmm. after you know years of struggling or whatever. Dude, they oh, look yeah. unbeatable right now. You know, and Tomlin, he's I still think Tomlin's one of the best head coaches. Oh yeah, uh, in the NFL. And uh, but but it, you know they have a you know an organization who mm-hmm. said, hey, we'll hang with you. And I think that's who the Falcons are. I think they're a team that says, you know, if we know you're good and you can coach, mm-hmm. we'll give you a shot. And and um, like you said, I think that's what makes it such a good place to come. Is, is to have Without that kind of ownership. So just jumping forward here, last little bit. Um, 
you know, draft. Obviously, Falcons aren't slotted in that top two, top three pick like we were hoping to get Fields or Lawrence or one of those guys. But looking, you know, mid-first round, 11, 12, 15, that range, um, who do you like there? Who do you, you know, how, you know, obviously anything could happen. If there's a run on quarterbacks early, that could let some top-tier position players drop back to you, um, especially at the, you know, corner position or another position, you know, offensive line, those kind of things. But who are you – who's on your short list? Who are you targeting right now? I, it's tough to say, again, because you don't know who the GM is and things like that. I guess me personally – I love the idea of going after someone like a Wayne Gallman mm-hmm. from Clemson running back because, you know, Gurley's not going to be around much longer. But I guess he's a guy I would say if you're going to stick with what you have, I like to get a running back in the first round. I think the kind of running backs now are hard to come by. You know, you can see Gurley's been, fun, mm-hmm. you know, he's been fantastic yep. this year. Um, I wouldn't mind keeping him around. And then you, you draft a guy like Gallman, you know, to kind of, split carries, you know. So, I think that's the route you go as a running back. I think running back takes pressure off of Ryan. You know, Goldman can do multiple things. You know, he's young for the future, too. You know, if you decide to move on from Ryan, he's a guy that, you know, he does multiple things. So, uh, I like him middle, middle, you know, if you're in the middle of the thing. I'm still not against getting a top ten pick mm-hmm. and getting a quarterback and just letting him sit. You know, the guy out of uh, – what's the third quarterback that everybody's talking about? Uh, Trey going, Lance, North Dakota uh, State. Mm-hmm. Trey Lance, yeah, I mean, if you feel like he's a guy, the guy from BYU that everybody's talking about that's so good, you know, they're thinking he might go top round, you know, and, and I'm not saying those are they're phenomenal guys. I haven't done the research mm-hmm. to see how good they are. I haven't watched enough BYU and stuff. But if you evaluate and you feel like, okay, these this is the guy we want, hey, you know, I, who better to sit behind than a guy like oh, Matt yeah. Ryan, you know, and to to pick his brain. So, and that I think. I think any coach, I think any, that would work for any coach if you're mm-hmm. in the top ten. Now I don't want to reach, you know, if you're in mid fifteen for somebody that what the Packers did. I'm still blown away at what the Packers did last year going after mm-hmm. Love. Like that makes to me that still just blows my mind that they drafted that guy when you have some like Aaron Rodgers in there and what he's still doing. So maybe they, you know, and I they're NFL GMs, they know way more than I do, but uh, you know, People would be upset in this in, here in Atlanta if we'd have drafted a quarterback. I couldn't imagine, you know, <laughs> what would you think if you're a Packers oh, yeah. fan and they just went after love, at, at, you know, there, which seemed like a reach. So, you know, I don't think you need to reach at whatever position. But I, I, those are the two, those are who I like. I like Gallman. If you're in the middle round, I think he's a running back. That's a difference maker. And I think if you're in that top ten range that you thought you can get one of those, you know, top four quarterbacks that you could bring in and sit behind Ryan. You know, that would be – I think that would be good, too. I, I don't think you draft defense first round anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, I think defense is so – it's getting to where, you know, I don't know. I feel like you can find defensive guys later in the round. It's kind of like wide mm-hmm. receivers. Like, I, I feel like wide receivers now, you can get a dime a dozen of a wide receiver. It seems like there's so many random guys that come out in the second or third round that are doing what first-rounders oh, yeah. do, you know. I mean, Julio's obviously mm-hmm. a freak. Don't get me wrong. You don't find Julio's those guys Julio, dime a dozen. And he's a freak. Yes, like, yeah, like the top, I'm not saying, you know, Hopkins, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that catch he made the other night, you know, like, yes, like, that's unreal. But I think in the NFL to 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 win, you don't have to have those guys, and I don't think you have to waste picks because of the way the NFL is set up. A wide receiver can, you know, if they can run and catch, you can get them the oh, ball yeah. for the most part now, um, I, you know. But, um, 
and, and I'm kind of feeling that way about defensive guys, you know, now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me. But, you know, Deion Jones, what mm-hmm. he does, I feel like Deion Jones is one of the best players. You know, Aluakon, you know, you're talking mm-hmm. later-round guys. Um, I, I don't think we need to waste any more picks on defense. Yeah. I guess that's my thing. We've already spent enough first-round picks on defense that's not panned out. You know, on, uh, Tack mm-hmm. McKinley, oh, my goodness, man. Like, I, you know. I really thought he was going to, you know, turn into somebody. And I don't know if he just could never get his head yeah. right or what, man. But um, Vic Beasley, you know, I mean, um, you go on naming these guys that you just feel like we're getting the same production out of our defense without yep. these first-rounders I agree. anyway. Grady Jarrett. I mean, Grady Jarrett's been the best defensive pick we've had probably in the last – man, I couldn't even mm-hmm. tell you how many years. But Grady Jarrett has been phenomenal. And he was Six what, rounder, a fifth I think. round? A fifth? Mm-hmm. Six rounder, yeah. I mean, so um, I, I don't know. I'm feeling more that way, but I, I do think Gallman. He's he's just a guy that I've been. You know, I, I've seen him the last few years. He does a lot of stuff. I think he help out Brian if you're not going to rebuild, or like I said, go quarterback route. I agree. I think top ten. If you can get one of those top flight guys, obviously go get Trevor Lawrence. Go get Justin Fields. But you know, if you're if there's a run on quarterbacks, you know, if the, the that that big if being a thing, you know, Fields and Lawrence are going to go top two, top three picks. But if somebody's in that four to five range and say jumps on Kyle Trask, Matt Jones, Desmond Ritter, you know, Jamie Newman, even somebody jumps on one yeah. of those guys after a solid combine and, and a solid spring, then I think you're going to see the run on quarterbacks. You're going to see teams start moving up. You're going to see teams start trying to trying to make deals and, and get some guys because that's their guy. They don't want someone else to take their guy. In that case, I think you can see a guy like a, you know, some solid defensive guy slip. But I do agree. I don't know that I want to go defense in that first round. I also don't know that I want to go running back because running backs, I think you can also acquire, if you will. You can acquire good running backs in free agency or sign those guys. And I think if you, you want to run it back with Todd Gurley on another short-term deal and, um, and, and you know, whoever you put behind him at, at that point, whether it's, you know, Quadre Olison or Brian Hill or whoever, I think you, you have a solid tandem there. But also, um, yeah. I, like, I think you need, you're going to need help at corner. If you can get up to Patrick Sertain from Alabama, I think he's probably the most pro-ready corner in, in college football. I think he's a guy who fits your scheme and does, does, is going to do some good stuff. I know you'd be young at the cornerback position there, but I think it's very apparent that Isaiah Oliver is not the future there. You don't want to have to go with him there again. Um, so I, I personally think if you can get a guy that you know is a day-one difference maker on defense, that you know – you know, Gregory Rousseau is a guy that a lot of people like from Miami, but I don't know that you want to go edge rusher again. You know, you want to find – you need to find some edge rushers. Yeah. But, what? you know. If I was going to go defense, if I if I was going to go defense in the secondary spot, uh, I don't like corner because – I mean, oh, my gosh. I thought we, we went A.J. Terrell. Mm-hmm. You know, had A.J. last year. We've had uh, uh, the guy of Washington, Desmond mm-hmm. Trufant. Um, we've had – Alfred, who was in the second round, you know, and and I don't thought those guys were difference makers, but I would not mind seeing somebody like LeCount mm-hmm. pulled at that position. Now, if you're telling me we can get somebody like him who can, you know, he can play the run, he can, you know, drop back in coverage. He's he's a ball hawk, you know. He's, you know, I, I like I like the draft. You know, I I don't know if he's more of a strong or a free, where you would play him more mm-hmm. at because I know you have uh, new, but you know you you have a spot for free safety. Uh, open to, um, because I think you know Allen's getting older yeah. and uh, things like that. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody like LeCount pulled there if I was gonna go defense. 
I just I don't like cornerback. Maybe it's because we we've been burnt so many times, <laughs> <laughs> whether it's in the game yes. or the pick. Uh, but but I, I do like LeCount. I you know maybe because I watch a lot of mm-hmm. Georgia games, obviously, but I do like what LeCount does. Uh, he he's he he's uh, pretty definitely. good, definitely. Um, so I mean, yeah, I think they have a lot of options. Is is what we're getting at. We've thrown out you know how many names, eight, twelve names of guys that we think. That we yeah. think could come in and, and play, and also you got to think if if you believe that you know a guy like Mac Jones or, or Zach Wilson or one of those guys is your is your next guy, then I guess yeah, take him at ten if you think he's the best player available and what you need to do. But also, I think you have a deep quarterback draft because when you look past those top flight guys, if you go if you say that you know Fields, Lawrence, Trey Lance, and and Zach Wilson are your top four. When you look beyond those guys, Mac Jones is playing well. Kyle Trask is playing well. Um, yeah. Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati is a guy that can do it with his arm and his legs. Jamie Newman, who we haven't seen, in, will be in a full year. Um, Kellen Mond from Texas. He's scared of COVID, but he's going to play in yes. the senior bowl. Makes no, total always, sense. Yes. Um, Kellen Mond, another guy from Texas A&M who can, who can get the job done. Um, Felipe Franks is even getting some draft buzz. So, I mean, you know, not saying he's going to be the savior. Yeah. But, nonetheless, I think that – I worry about any guy with one good yes. year of college football. I like consistency in college before you – and, and, you know, Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, he's he's had a couple of years at LSU. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to see a guy who is more consistent if I was talking first mm-hmm. round. Pick. I think you can go even round three, round four quarter if you're going quarterback. You can wait till yeah. then yeah. and let a guy sit, let a guy develop. Because I think if you're if you're looking at this, you know, trying to look at it, from an analytic standpoint, thinking, okay, what do we need to do to make this thing the best po- make the best possible decisions? If you put a Trevor Lawrence with the Jets as terribly run as that franchise is, it's easy to see Trevor Lawrence not being very good. But if you take yeah. a third, fourth round yeah. guy who maybe is clearly not as talented as Trevor Lawrence, but is developed, is in a good system. Think about you know Tom Brady with the Patriots. Think about you know the guys they were able to run out there when Tom Brady was was suspended and still have success, even though it was short term. Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, it was short-term success. Guys in the right system that are in well-run organizations generally find success if they have football talent. And I think that's what the Falcons may need to look for in the next quarterback is a guy who you can develop for a couple years and then plug and play, but also get guys who can help you day one in this draft coming up. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with what you said there first is take the best talent available at number one. That's something the Falcons has always not done. They could have had Gurley mm-hmm. right out of college. You know, they could have drafted him with their pick, but they ended up going with uh, – was it Beasley that year they went Beasley. with instead of Gurley? Yeah, I think it was Beasley that year they went with instead of Gurley because that was a need. I, I think one thing – I hope that whoever we get as GM, that with your first pick, your first pick should always be best talent available. Even if you – you know, unless it's just a – you're overly, abundantly full of – like wide receiver. Like, yes. I, I don't think in this draft you'll have to take the best wide receiver and no. be the best one available. But – Outside of that position, I don't care what it is. If they're the best player available at their position, take them at number one. I think that's where always the Falcons have messed up is they've always drafted need heavy, and so it causes them to reach for a guy like Tack, like Vic, who, you know, you're going, okay, yeah, they're the best pass rusher, but, dude, you could have had Todd Gurley, and maybe you didn't have to have him, but he makes you a lot better than what Vic Beasley would have made you without a um, doubt. So I, I think – I think that's the one thing I want the Falcons to do. Whatever pick they have, yes, take the best talent available. Whatever the best talent is, whatever the best pick is available, 
take that at that point. I like that, like that mode of thinking, to, especially in in a win now scenario. But yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Um, thank you, Saul, for being on this morning for agreeing to pop on and, and chop it up a little bit about you know Georgia and the Falcons and, and all that stuff, and, and really give some you know good insight and different insight than what what I had. You know, especially looking at this draft and looking at some things about Georgia and. and and the way that that program is going. So thank you very much for, for being on this morning. I hope to have you back uh, to, to kick it around about Georgia some more, about the Falcons, and, you know, who knows what else may come up. And I, and I know we didn't have time for it. I love the Braves signing Drew Smiley. The only thing that sucks is that means we don't get a top-tier pitcher. But just a little Braves inside. I like that we got Drew Smiley. At least yes. we got a pitcher that can pitch. I'm fine with it. But – Maybe that opens it up to where we're going to go get Ozuna since we're not going to spend big money on a definitely. Picture. Well, I definitely have to kick it around about Braves free agency <laughs> when the stove heats up here after uh, after the NBA decides to do whatever they're going to do and get started. And the stove heats up in, in January and February as we get closer to spring training. We'll definitely be back to talk some Braves. Definitely be back to see what's going to get that team over the hump because I think they're the most championship ready team in the city. I don't, and I think you would agree with that. Heck yeah, Without for sure. Doubt. Isaiah, man, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Thank you for being on. That's all we got today, guys. Um, Be sure to follow us on Facebook. Check us out at the 404 Podcast. Uh, Let us know what you think. Leave your questions. Leave your comments. We'll definitely um, have to open this thing up, make it a Q&A, and get some of you guys' questions in. So thank you very much.